Can you think of a better way to celebrate Easter weekend than with a Galaxy CDs, Rocks, and Flips Reseller Talk podcast? Neither could I. Hey, what is up, Galaxians? Welcome to an Easter weekend episode of the Galaxy CDs, Rocks, and Flips Reseller Talk podcast. I hope you have a great holiday weekend. I hope sales are good. I'm curious to see what it looks like over the weekend, but there's been a lot of reselling news in the last three or four days, and I wanted to recap both March and my first quarter, which just ended at the end of March. So I thought I would put together I don't know how short it will be, a little holiday weekend episode. So let's get it kicked off with news updates. All right. In the news, um, you may have noticed if you have an eBay store, the we talked about this with the spring seller update. The new zero insertion fee allotments went live on April 1st. If you are part of eBay's managed payments program, you got a whole lot of new free insertions if you are a store subscriber. Uh, They've got a really nice recap. And as always, I will link to all of this in the show notes and description below. But uh, about how to determine which or whether an eBay store is right for you. They point out that if you currently sell less than 50 items each month, you probably do not need an eBay store subscription. Uh, But they do have a nice breakdown of what the new zero insertion fees are. If you have a basic store, you now get 1,000 fixed price listings and 10,000 in select categories, which are primarily, it seems like, in media. If you have a premium store, you went from 1,000 to 10,000 plus the 50,000 in select categories. You anchor store subscribers now have 25,000 fixed price listings and 75K in those select categories. And if you're a big mama jamma and you are an enterprise account, uh, you got 100,000 in both the fixed price and the select categories. If you are not yet on managed payments, unfortunately, your zero insertion fee listings did not change. So they continue to say that they will have everyone on managed payments by the end of the year. So this is something that you've got to look forward to with that. They also note, and we talked about this when we talked about the spring seller update, that certain categories did receive a final value fee price increase in conjunction with this. Um, they say, as we move away from upfront insertion fees, select categories will see a 0.2% increase in final value fees. So be aware of that. Some of your fees are going up again. Those primarily seemed like they were in the media categories. I noticed a, a couple people had commented on my podcast about the Spring Seller Update that it looked like media was getting hit particularly hard. Continuing on with eBay, I talked about this last week. I, I mentioned that Poshmark had added videos to their listing flow and that eBay had talked about the potential of doing that with their listings. They have now, in fact published a blog post introducing seller videos on storefronts and item pages. We're continuing... That was bad. (laughs) We're continually working to give you a modern, feature-rich platform that helps you engage buyers and grow your sales 
on eBay as part of this effort. We're introducing video capability for listings and storefronts over the next few months. You'll start seeing videos on select view item pages and storefronts. We'll continue to expand these new video capabilities to more sellers throughout 2021. These videos initially will be visible to buyers on the eBay app only and will eventually expand to both the desktop and the mobile web version. So uh, be on the lookout for that. I have not seen any indication that I can add videos yet to any of my listings. If you've gotten a notice that you can add video to any of yours, let us know in the comments below. Or if you're listening to the podcast, shoot me an email at galaxycds at gmail.com. In the news with Amazon, this probably isn't really directly reselling related, but Amazon is being sued. Once again, an Illinois independent bookstore has sued Amazon and select book publishers for what they deem unfair business practices. A bookstore in Evanston is the lead plaintiff in a what is a class action lawsuit against Amazon and the five biggest book publishing companies over what she says are unfair business practices. The lawsuit alleges that Amazon and these publishing companies engage in price fixing by intentionally inflating prices and controlling book sales to discourage bookstores from competing with Amazon. I don't sell new books, and obviously I don't have a retail store. If you're a big bookseller, are you selling new books? Do you do you have relationships with any of these publishers or vendors, and what's your experience with that vis-a-vis Amazon? Uh, Bookends and Beginnings is the name of the store. Nina Barrett is encouraging other independent bookstores to join this complaint because it is a class action suit. It alleges that Amazon has worked with these five publishing houses to acquire clauses that essentially ensure that other booksellers cannot compete with the online online giant, which typically charges prices lower than those listed on the book flap. Uh, other sellers are not allowed to sell new releases earlier or any books at a cheap, cheaper price than Amazon, and publishers cannot offer lower wholesale prices to competing booksellers than what Amazon receives. These things would, of course, encourage competition in the market, according to the complaint. Uh, These clauses, which control the price point at which the plaintiffs can offer books to customers, have the intent and effect of controlling wholesale prices of print trade books and preventing competition with Amazon in the retail sale of said books. Uh, She goes on to highlight that independent booksellers also cannot offer unique book promotional materials from these publishers that are not available on Amazon, which is something that we had when I had my record store. And there were a couple of coalitions of independent record stores who negotiated with the record labels to actually offer special promotional items that were only available at independent record stores, which was a really cool thing. Uh, You saw it especially around Record Store Day, which was a big, big event where Only independent record stores could participate and had all kinds of special releases. So in the music business, as dirty and nasty as the music business can be, there was a real focus on supporting independent shops. And here in the book business, it seems like it's gone completely the opposite way and that everything is, if Amazon doesn't get it, you can't have it either, which is really interesting. You would think the publishers would would like to be doing something different or something special for their small independent sellers, especially in today's climate, but that does not appear to be the case. 
so that'll be interesting to watch. Again, not necessarily reselling related, but anything that affects the platforms that we sell on and could affect them in any kind of adverse way. I feel like it's newsworthy. So there you go. Uh, continuing on, there is a big push from eBay, Etsy, Poshmark, and others who have formed a coalition that calls an anti-counterfeiting bill now going through the Senate as a threat to sellers' privacy. A group of online marketplaces, including but not limited to eBay, Etsy, Poshmark, Mercari, and OfferUp, have banded together to highlight what they feel are oversights in proposed legislation called the Inform Consumers Act, which is aimed, has a good premise behind it, it's aimed at cracking down on the sale of stolen and counterfeit products online. Organizations that represent big box brick-and-mortar retail, the Retail Industry Leaders Association, and specific retailers like The Gap and Home Depot have expressed support for the legislation in its current form. This Inform for Consumers Act, the Integrity, Notification, and Fairness in Online Retail Marketplaces, was recently reintroduced into the U.S. Senate uh, back in March, would require high-volume third-party sellers to authenticate their identity by providing government and tax IDs, bank account information, contact information, including business address, email, and phone number. They define high-volume sellers as those that have made 200 or more sales in a 12-month period, amounting to $5,000 or more in sales. I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound like a high-volume business. <laughs> uh as, as an individual, I'm doing more than that a month. So I would, I would probably consider myself to be a reasonably high volume seller. Certainly nothing, obviously, like Amazon or Walmart. But if I'm doing 400 transactions a month at six, seven, eight thousand $8,000 a month, I feel like I'm a fairly sizable business. But somebody who's only doing 200 transactions in a year and less than $5,000... Uh, I feel that that might be a little bit of overreach. Let me know what you think of that in the comments down below. Um, the The people who are proposing the legislation are quoted as saying, criminal third-party sellers trick consumers into buying counterfeit and hazardous products online. This bipartisan bill provides information so that consumers can distinguish between genuine retailers and frauds in the internet marketplace. Um I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I don't feel like I've got to divulge my tax ID information to, to be able to sell stuff to people online, but that's just me. Uh, this group of platforms that have come out have formed a coalition called PASS, Protect America's Small Sellers, and they say that new marketplace verification and disclosure requirements would jeopardize the privacy of millions of small online sellers by requiring them to publicly disclose their full name, address, telephone number, and email address. We believe this type of public disclosure compromises our seller's privacy, security, and ability to thrive. They maintain that there is an important voice missing in these legislative conversations and plan to push for amendments that will protect small online sellers. So this one actually obviously directly affects almost everyone that sells in that space. So you definitely want to keep an eye on that. And I will continue to update you as I see news on this. But uh, 
This is uh, this will be interesting. This this legislation was actually in Congress and both the Senate and the House last year. It never went to a vote. It was tabled. It's now been reintroduced. So hopefully there will be at least some thorough discussion on this. But that's where it's at at the moment. Um, what else we've got here? That's uh, actually that's the same thing. We're going to skip that. There's an article on Hyperbeast about Taco Bell hot sauces are now selling for thousands of dollars. This has come up a couple times in the past when they get rid of a particular flavor or heat of sauce, but uh, helping prove that just about anything can be sold. eBay now has Taco Bell hot sauce packages reselling for thousands of dollars. Uh, aside from 50 and 100 pack lots, some of the fast food chains free condiments are being sold for exorbitant prices. One standout is a packet of sauce that comes devoid of the usual phrase printing listed at $24,999.99. They they used the word selling. (laughs) Uh, I don't think it's selling at that price, but it it is definitely listed at that price. So uh, if you got any rare and unusual Taco Bell hot sauces, um, apparently that's the new (laughs) trading card (laughs) business. Uh, I don't think so. But anyway, it's always interesting to see kind of the goofy stuff that ends up on eBay and people just go crazy bidding on it. Last thing over on e-commerce bites, there is a writer who wrote in uh, seller says eBay offers buyer money back and keep the item. Uh, I've been selling on eBay for a while, was convinced that as a seller, I was protected. Not at all. Sold a perfume bottle a little over a week later. I got an open case on eBay that says the buyer says they received the wrong item. The seller is claiming they only had one of this item. It's not a category that they normally sell in. So usually if I have a return request, they say I just accept it and keep my 100% feedback. Usually it involves accepting the return, waiting for the item to come back, and then the release of the funds. In this case, I noticed something was wrong. The only options I had were challenge the dispute or refund the buyer. What happened in this case was that the buyer filed a complaint with the payment company with the credit card or with PayPal, a charge dispute rather than an actual item not as described claim on eBay. eBay seller protections do not apply to payment disputes. You could argue that they probably should, but they don't. And as with this, there seems to be a lot of confusion about that matter, there's also the point of the the $20 fee that for some reason a lot of sellers were not aware of. If you challenge a payment dispute and are found to be in the wrong and lose the dispute, they will charge you a $20 dispute fee for that whole process. So technically, I guess this is kind of a loophole for buyers. If they find out that they can file a payment dispute they have an opportunity potentially to be able to keep the item and and get their money back if you lose the payment dispute. Now, I see a lot of messages on the various message boards and on Facebook groups and whatnot, people claiming they've never won a chargeback dispute that has come up on eBay. I've had two, and I won both of mine. So I don't know. Obviously, individual results may vary, and it's all anecdotal, but I don't think that this is at the present time as huge of a problem 
as people make it out to be. Obviously, the internet is always full of all the negative stuff. <laughs> uh, and this is a, a case of that. And just be aware that you want to, obviously, you want to make sure you have all your information, ship it with trackable information, make sure your listings are correct, and all the things you can do to protect yourself. Don't rely on eBay necessarily to be the final arbiter of protection because if it goes to a payment dispute whether it's through paypal or a credit card company it's a whole nother can of worms it can take longer to process again my personal experience has been that it does not take a significant amount of time both of mine that were found in my favor were settled in less than two weeks i have seen people say it's been 30 45 60 days to have a payment dispute resolved so again your mileage may vary but just be aware that this is a potential loophole for buyers to work around and potentially be able to, to keep the item. eBay does not, at this time, have an option necessarily where the buyer can get a refund and keep the item. You can choose to do that. Um, and we talked about this a few episodes ago where big retailers, Amazon, Walmart, have that option where... It's just not economically viable for them to take the item back, restock it, try to resell it or whatever the case is, and they just let you keep it. I've, I've got a cable sitting over here on the shelf that I bought that I didn't need. When I sent for a return for Amazon, Amazon said, just keep it and gave me my money back. So that is actually a formalized policy. You as a seller have the option to do that. But as far as I can tell, other than in a payment dispute, eBay does not eBay's not pushing that just yet. Just yet, I say. Um, and all, all these sellers are blaming all of this on managed payments. Again, PayPal has that same $20 chargeback dispute loss fee. Most credit card companies, if you deal with a payment processor individually, they have a similar fee. So this isn't just an eBay thing. And the threat of moving your business to another online reseller is not going to get you around this. If, if the seller, if, or if the buyer rather has paid with a credit card, they can file a payment dispute with their credit card company and you're going to be on the hook. So protect yourself, do everything in your power to make sure that your listings are right and accurate. And every now and then, again, we talk about this on this channel pretty regularly. Some of these things are just the cost of doing business. You're going to run into a scammer or someone who's trying to to pull one over on you and you just got to kind of eat it and move on with life. With that, we're going to take a really quick break and then we will be back with a recap of March and the first quarter here at the Galaxy. Stay tuned. We all know that one of the quickest ways to increase sales is to get your items seen on more platforms. But if you're like me and you have hundreds or even thousands of existing listings, the thought of transferring all of that information manually is pretty overwhelming. That's where a program like List Perfectly can come in really, really handy. I've been using it to transfer literally hundreds of items a day from my eBay listings over to Mercari, and it has been fantastic. I've seen an increase in sales, and I couldn't have done it without them. In fact, I'm so happy with how the program is working for me that I've become an affiliate for them. If you'd like to check out what it's all about, there's an affiliate link in the show notes and the description below. Be sure to click on it, and if you decide to sign up, enter promo code 634 to save 30% off your first month. I can't recommend it highly enough. 
That's list perfectly. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you're on Apple Podcasts and you want to do me a solid, please leave me a review. That would be awesome. If you're listening anywhere else, there's a link in the show notes to my Podchaser page where you can also go and leave a review. Be sure to check me out on YouTube at Galaxy CDs Rocks and Flips and follow me on Instagram at Galaxy CDs Rocks. Thanks again. So March is in the books, and it's time to recap the month. I normally do this in the midweek recap, but because I wanted to talk about both March as a month and the first quarter of 2021, which is now behind us, I decided I'd go ahead and stick that in this episode. So on Wednesday, we just have the normal weekly business recap. So for the month of March, I did 380 new listings to eBay. My goal for the month was 500 mid-month, I kind of shifted my priorities and I decided I wanted to do this cross-listing project that we've talked about if you've been playing along at home. So I fell a little short of my goal, but still 380 new listings to eBay. Not too bad. That left me at the end of the month with 6,425 active listings over on eBay. The cross-listing project that I just mentioned, in addition to new listings to Mercari, I managed to transfer or new list 1,650 items over to Mercari, which left me with a total on Mercari of 1,765. So not, not too shabby. Sales for the month. It turned out to be my second best month ever, which February, just last month, two months ago now, was my second best month ever until now. So March was fantastic. $7,222.26. Uh, the Westchester Antique Center had its worst month in the three months I've been over there, $110.36. I owed them some money this month, so not ideal, uh, but still ahead of the target when I did that video and that podcast uh, several months ago about choosing to do an antique booth rather than a storage unit. My goal was to be able to spend less than 80 odd dollars a month out of pocket to be able to get some of the stuff out of my house and my garage and have it somewhere else. My total owed for the month was like 62 bucks. So I'm still, I'm still achieving my goal. It's not, it's not profitable per se, but it's, it's helped me achieve some other things. So I'm still reasonably okay with that. Uh, Bonanza, $184 and 28 cents. Mercari, $393 eBay, $64.24 and 51 cents, and various other either a live in-person sale or sponsorships, affiliate income, totaled $110.11. So uh, obviously my business is very heavily skewed towards eBay, but those other venues accounted for a little over $800 total. That's pretty good. I, if you could do a handful of other things and make an extra $800 a month, that's $9,600 a year gross. That's pretty good. I would take that. So I'm, I'm pleased with having these additional income streams and continue to focus on trying to grow some, if not all of them. Some of them, there's not much you can do. Bonanza, I can't. <laughs> Bonanza is what it is. It's going to be $100 a month and, you know, whatever. 
Cost of goods sold for last month was two oh five seventy four, which left me with a gross profit for the month of ninety seven point one five percent, or seven thousand sixteen dollars and fifty two cents. Just massive. Operating expenses for March totaled twenty seven eighty five oh three. Uh, fifteen hundred thirty-five dollars and sixty-one cents in outbound shipping. A thousand sixty dollars and forty-seven cents in fees to the various eBay selling fees and Mercari fees and so on. The rest of it was kind of miscellaneous office supplies, and then the hundred and seventy-two dollars for rent over at the Westchester Antique Center. Net profit for the month ended up being fifty-eight point five nine percent, or forty-two hundred. $31.49. That's a number that I would love to make. If I could consistently get to 4000 plus a month net profit before tax, that would be outstanding. <laughs> uh, so that's kind of what March looked like. Let us know in the comments what kind of March you had. I've seen on Instagram uh, where you can follow me at Galaxy CDs Rocks. Some other people post that March was one of their best months ever. I think there were a couple of factors there. Obviously, number one, uh, those STEMI checks that went out, everybody, not everybody, uh, I know some folks, I won't disclose who, (laughs) whose stimulus check actually went to someone else's account because of a transposition error at the IRS. So not everybody got their money. But nonetheless, a lot of people did and they were spending it. And some people probably started to get their tax refunds back. So there was some some money sloshing around in the market that I think helped March be particularly good. For the quarter, uh, first quarter for 2011, I looked at these numbers and I pulled a comparison to what I did last year. And I, I was feeling reasonably happy last year with my monthly income. 2021 blew away what I did in 2020. So for the quarter, $20,011.30 gross, which was an increase from last year of 37%. Um, just phenomenal. Um, I, I don't expect, I've talked about this before on this channel. There comes a point where you can't continue to post exponential growth like that. And I would expect that this will start to level off as my inventory levels kind of get consistent and I'm not adding thousands of new items every quarter, but year over year for the first quarter, just humongous growth. My cost of goods sold was $615.97, which was down 54.6% from the same quarter last year. That is attributable to the big lots of CDs, books and magazines that I bought last year where previously my average cost of goods sold on books, for instance, was a dollar or more. And now it's down under 30 cents. CDs was closer to a dollar a piece. Now it's like eight cents. So I've got these massive, massive amounts of goods that I own for pennies on the dollar, which has drastically reduced my cost of goods sold. Operating expenses, as you would expect, with all that extra business, were up $99.62 and 60 cents versus last year. It was up 57%. But that left me with a net pre-tax quarterly profit of $9,432.73, which was a 36.3% increase 
over the same quarter last year. So I am, I'm going to go have a celebratory. It's, it's still morning. So I'll I'll just have a coffee or something. (laughs) Uh, Maybe I'll have an extra drink tonight. So let us know in the comments down below. How was your March? How was your first quarter? Would, Would you chalk it up as a success? And what are you looking towards for the second quarter? My current goals are to continue my cross-listing process. I'd like to do three to 400 new listings per week from my existing eBay listings over to Mercari. So let's call it maybe 1,500 items again cross-posted in April to Mercari, which would get my active listings probably, depending on how much stuff I sell over there, close to 3,000, which would still be less than half what I have on eBay like to continue to grow the eBay store. I'm excited that despite the last couple of days where we've had sub 30 degree weather and some snow here in Cincinnati, the weather is warming and we can start seeing some garage sales pop up here and there. There are actually a few on the calendar this weekend, but I think as we get beyond the Easter holiday and the weather warms, we're really going to start to see some traction. So let me know what your goals are for April and beyond for the second quarter. Again, I want to wish everyone a very happy Easter. Thank you for spending a little bit of your Easter weekend here with me. And now it's time to sell. Thanks, guys. You have been listening to the Galaxy CDs Rocks and Flips Reseller Talk podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we will catch you again next time.